This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Charlie Pride was the first black country music singer to sign to a major record label back in 1965. He went on to have 30 number one hits on the Billboard Hot Country chart and sold more than 70 million records. You've got to kiss an angel good morning and let her know you think about her when you're gone. Kiss an angel good morning and love her like the devil when you get back home. The funny thing about it all is that Charlie Pride seemed to fall into country music after not achieving his goal of being a professional baseball player. Charlie Pride passed away in December of 2020 from complications from COVID-19 at the age of 86. I recently caught up with Nashville historian David Ewing, who was also featured in a PBS documentary about Charlie Pride. I spoke with Ewing about Charlie Pride's life, career, and legacy. Kiss an angel good morning And love her like the devil when you get back home To start off, you know, Charlie Pride was born in Mississippi. He was one of 11 children. His family were sharecroppers and picked cotton. And early on, Charlie thought he could avoid a life in the fields by becoming a professional baseball player. And he dropped out of school at the age of 15, later started playing for minor league baseball teams before he turned 18 years old. How would you describe his baseball career? You know, it's interesting. Charlie is often described as the Jackie Robinson of country music. But he wasn't the Jackie Robinson of baseball. But he wanted to be. He wanted to be. Charlie Pride was a good baseball player, but probably not a great baseball player. He apparently had a good fastball, a good sinker, and a knuckleball, but wasn't at the level that he could make it to the major leagues. Yep. And he tried and tried and tried. And and we'll get into that in a little bit. But, you know, Charlie Pride grew up listening to country music on the radio station. That's kind of how he started to get into country music. And that became his thing. Because throughout his career, people would think like, oh, why didn't you get into jazz or blues? And it was like, well, I just grew up listening to the radio station. And this was the station that we got. And so I fell in love with country. But he did sing a lot when he was still really banking on baseball being a career. You know, he sang on the tour buses in between games while, you know, they were going between states to play. You know, he sang the national anthem before games and even would sneak in a, a country song here and there, you know, before a baseball game. For the land of the free, And he ended up living in Montana a while because of a baseball gig there. And that's when he really started to perform country music more, was when he was living in Montana. How would you describe his time in Montana and how Montana impacted his music career? So in the 50s, Charlie Pride borrowed $400. He gave his wife $200 and took the other two to move to Montana to start this baseball career. And there was a minor league team in Montana, uh, the Timberjacks of the Pioneer League, and they were affiliate of Cincinnati Reds. So he was willing to pick up life and go anywhere as long as he could pursue his dream of playing baseball and getting to the major league. So if it were in Montana, he would have moved there. It was California, Florida, didn't matter. So 
just happened to be his first opportunity was in Montana. Charlie wanted to play baseball so bad, but he, of course, needed to work. And so he actually plays baseball for this team, but then ends up working in a smelting plant in Montana. And when he eventually gets cut from the baseball team that he moved out there from, he moves to Helena, Montana, and to basically work at the smelting plant and take a job. He plays semi-pro ball, which is almost like a corporate league of you know companies that play each other in this league. Hardly the route to go to the major leagues. And I think during that time, he probably realized this baseball thing wasn't going to happen, particularly getting cut. You know, I think that hurt him probably more than anything in his life when he got released from this baseball team because all of his hopes and dreams were based on moving to Montana, playing major league baseball. And if you worked for a minor league team, hopefully you'd get up there to the majors. He was working at a smelter. And then I understand when he was living in Helena, he was driving like 80 miles after a shift to go play at a bar. So he would be working a full day shift, drive 80 miles, go perform at a bar until 2 a.m., and then drive back home, sleep two hours, and start the day all over again. And so he was getting gigs, you know, that were, that were you know, somewhere between, you know, 40 miles away and 80 miles away, but making all those treks. And it was kind of in those bars that I think he started to make some connections. Yeah, Charlie Pride's music career actually started in Montana. He would play these bars. The first time he played, he played in a quartet in a group called the Nighthawks. And that was a place where people, the locals could hear him perform. And people did like him. They thought he had talent. When Charlie Pride moved to Helena, he played at the Main Street Tavern, which was really their biggest kind of more significant bar. He had to rent a guitar. He didn't even own a guitar. He probably cared more about his baseball equipment than his music equipment. And it was at this bar where his voice kind of, I think, developed, and he really felt that he had some talent there, too. Now I've got heartaches by the numbers A love that I can't win at one of Charlie Pride's shows in Montana, he met some folks from, you know, the country music industry from Nashville, and they stayed in touch. And, you know, Charlie was still getting antsy to grow his baseball career. So he ends up paying his own way to show up to a baseball tryout for a team in Florida, that he, the tryout that he was not invited to, and that didn't go well. Um, he was not given a tryout. Then on his way back home, you know, on his way to Montana, he stops by Nashville and somehow managed to record a demo during that trip and got a manager, the same manager that he was with for the majority of his career. And then two years later, he ends up getting signed to RCA, which was the biggest record company in the world. And Charlie Pride became the first black country singer to sign to a major label. And this was all happening in the mid-1960s when sit-ins were happening. And I'm wondering, what do you make of Charlie being able to get in the door in Nashville at the time in which he did? It was disappointing for Charlie Pride not to basically get a proper tryout in Florida for a major league baseball team. And driving back home, you know, stopping in Nashville, 
and meeting some people in country music that were willing to take a chance on this unknown person. But what was interesting about that era, you know, he did meet, Nashville's always been kind of a networking down and you need the right people to promote you and give you songs and promote your career. But at the time, he recorded some demos, got a little bit of buzz on Music Row during a time where country music was really kind of on its back. You had rock and roll uh, really taking over by storm. And then in the early 60s, it was Motown and it was the Beatles. And so this wasn't the best time to enter the country music industry. One of the people that really took a liking to Charlie Pride and really deserves, I think, credit for him getting a record deal with RCA is Cowboy Jack Clement. Cowboy Jack Clement is a member of the Country Music Hall of Fame. And he got Charlie Pride. He believed in Charlie Pride. And he thought RCA should sign him. And the person that he knew best at RCA was his friend Chet Atkins. And Chet did not get Charlie Pride at all and passed on Charlie Pride. And Cowboy Jack just wouldn't let Chet not sign Charlie Pride. And he told Chet Atkins, if you don't sign him, you're missing out on maybe the next Elvis Presley. And based on that, Chet Atkins, who opened the RCA studio on Music Row, where Elvis recorded over 100 songs and people like Dolly Parton have recorded there, the Everly Brothers, Roy Orbison, Harley Pride was signed to RCA based on that word. And Chet Atkins was involved in his recording career at an early day. And so some of his most iconic hits from his early albums were recorded in that one-story Cinderblock studio on Music Row, where Elvis had recorded so many songs. And in the end of the day, I, I understand Charlie Pride is second to Elvis Presley in how many records he sold from RCA. Elvis Presley is number one. Charlie Pride is number two. Yes. Um, and there was actually a year where I think Charlie outsold Elvis in one year for RCA artists. Hear that lonesome whistle whine, Alabama, Caroline, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee. This hobo's life is a life for me, riding the Atlantic Coastal Line. Riding the Atlantic Coastal Line. When I was reading Charlie Pride's autobiography, the book opens up with him talking about a very specific show in Detroit. And it, it's talking about, you know, this is shortly after signing with RCA. And he says in this first chapter that RCA's strategy was, quote, to slip me into the tent and downplay my racial identity until the fans in the industry became accustomed to my music to accept me, unquote. And, you know, his music at the time was getting some some airplay, but he was having a hard time getting shows because venues and promoters were afraid to take that risk. But he's talking about one of his first shows in Detroit where people had heard his music but never seen his face before. And at the show, he gets introduced. The crowd starts to applaud. He shows up on stage, and the, the applause just kind of fades quickly. 
And as he says in the book, like people are waiting for Charlie Pride to show up when it's me on stage. And um, then Charlie Pride says, quote, ladies and gentlemen, I realize this is a little unique, me coming out here on a country music show wearing this permanent tan. And that at that moment, you know, the, the audience starts to laugh and you kind of feel the energy in the room start to relax. And he performs the show and people loved it. And that's how he described a lot of those early shows is showing up on stage and a, people expecting a white man to be performing country music. But he says by the end of the show, he wins everyone over and he keeps saying like, if I can just perform on a stage, people will love me. It's just getting over that hump to allow me to get on that stage in in the first place. And so I'm just curious, what do you think it was about Charlie Pride and his music that allowed him to break into the industry the way that he did? That Detroit show was a unique performance for Charlie because early on, his first albums didn't have his photo on it. So people just thought he was a white man singing. He had the country music voice sound, almost like a Hank Williams style, and that southern twang. And so if you didn't know, you probably would have just thought, oh, that's just some new white artist singing country music. And the thing about Charlie Pride was country music was a very white industry. There had only been one other African-American performer in country music, D. Ford Bailey, who debuts on the Grand Ole Opry in the 20s and one of the first Opry members, actually. And he played the harmonica, and he lasted for about 15 years in the Opry until they kind of summarily dismissed him in 1940. But between that time and Charlie Pride, there were no African-American performers in country music, even though there were lots of influence of African-Americans in country music from Keetot, a street musician teaching Hank Williams Sr. how to play guitar, to the banjo being an instrument that was bought over here from Africa by the enslaved population, and just a lot of other blues influences that came about. Everyone always talks about country music, but country music is just kind of a almost watered down version of the blues. That the blues was this kind of lyrically driven, forcefully sung, authentic music about life, hard struggles. And country music was that from the Appalachian standpoint. It was the hard struggles of people that lived in the rural areas and the mountains as opposed to the cities like Chicago and Memphis. And so Charlie, he loved country music, and he wanted to be as big as, obviously he's very ambitious. When he played baseball, he wanted to be Jackie Robinson. He wanted to be the best. He wanted to win all these awards and be recognized as top people. And that ambition carried over to his music career too. I thought I had seen pretty girls in my time, but that was before I met you. I never saw one that I wanted for mine, but that was before I met you. There's a chapter in Charlie Pride's autobiography where he talks a little bit about his mental health and how in the late 60s and again in the early 80s, 
He had some episodes um, where he'd get hit with paranoia, insomnia, confusion, and dread. And he found out that it was a chemical imbalance and, and it was diagnosed as manic depression. And, you know, after a few years of denying medication for treatment, he ultimately did start taking medication and the issues resolved. But I just can't help but think about, you know, how some of these episodes were happening at pretty intense times in his life. The first one happening when he was touring in Europe. And, um, you know, I also think about his time in Helena, where, again, he was working a full day shift at a smelter plant, you know, driving 80 miles, performing until 2 a.m., driving back, getting two hours of sleep. I mean, he seemed like just a force, like just a machine, you know, and then not to mention the racial tension he faced again and again and would just shake off, you know, as he writes in his autobiography, you know, his philosophy was, you can accomplish more with tolerance than indignation. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on just how Charlie Pride was able to work through these mental episodes and racism throughout his career? Growing up in the rural Delta area of Mississippi, youth experienced poverty, racism, classism, and all of that. And if Charlie was going to escape that, he needed to kind of put all that aside and just be good at either playing baseball or singing music. And I think Jackie Robinson was a role model for everybody like that. Jackie Robinson experienced discrimination on and off the field and jeers and people not wanting him to perform. But he was an ambassador for the African-American community because he thought that, obviously, Jackie Robinson was the greatest baseball player of his era, but he had to do more than being great. And when Branch Rickey signed Jackie Robinson, he asked him, I want someone in, with fight in them, but I want them to have the restraint not to fight. And I think that was Charlie Pride. And Charlie Pride had a lot of fight in them, but the restraint not to fight was because he wanted to be successful in this area that was previously all white and that people did not want to hear a lot of politics coming from someone like Charlie Pride, who was new to the industry. Yeah, it was interesting also learning, too, that he had a performance the evening that Dr. Martin Luther King was killed. And he went on stage, like some some folks canceled their performances, but he went on stage and he said he didn't say anything about it. And I thought that that was, that was interesting. And, and gosh, what you know, what a debate must be going on in, in his head of, of what to do in that moment, too. And I'm sure Charlie Pride, you know, that was just kind of his style that he didn't want to cancel the show, but he wasn't going to make the evening about that. Those people came to hear a concert and he was going to give them a concert. I just tried to be exactly what you see. Day and every day, I'm just me. I mean, you were a Nashville historian. How remarkable would you say Charlie Pride's career was? The story of Charlie Pride is probably one of the greatest stories in country music. And there are so many good stories in country music from Hank Williams to Johnny Cash to Dolly Parton to Loretta Lynn. There have been movies made about many of these folks, Patsy Cline. But Charlie Pride is significant because there was no route to be a country music star for someone like Charlie Pride. He was African-American. There were no 
African-Americans in country music at the time. And he basically sung the traditional way of country, not a blues version of country or R&B version of country. He sung country just as much as Roy Acuff or Johnny Cash, but he was African-American. And when you think in 1966, the song Six Crawl at Night was his first hit, that that was just kind of a typical country song of the era that, you know, Eddie Arnold could have sung that song, Roy Acuff could have sung that song, John Cash could have sung that song, but it was Charlie Pride. That kind of launched his career in Nashville. And the peak of his career, in my opinion, was in 1971. Charlie Pride wins the biggest award in Nashville, the CMA Entertainer of the Year. There's no bigger award in Nashville. And they announce from the Ryman Auditorium Charlie Pride's name. And he came up on that famous stage and accepted that award. The nominees are Merle Haggard, Loretta Lynn, Charlie Pride, Conway Twitty, and, of course, Jerry Reed. The entertainer of the year. Yeah, he's due. Ladies and gentlemen, my buddy, Mr. Charlie Pride. And during his acceptance speech, he talked about growing up as a sharecropper's son in Mississippi, picking cotton and they would listen to WSM and the Grand Ole Opry, which then was broadcast from that very stage. And that is a full circle moment in Charlie Pride's life and in country music that someone who just not very long ago was still in those cotton fields in Mississippi is now accepting the biggest award in country music amongst your peers and amongst all the other people in that category that were nominated that year, Merle, Loretta, Conway, and Jerry, all of those people are in the Country Music Hall of Fame today with Charlie Pride. Yeah. And now I think about today, you know, I, you know, Darius Rucker, you know, of Hooting the Blowfish that then, you know, is now doing Country Music Today. also announced this week that Beyonce has become the first black woman to reach number one on the country chart um, with her song Texas Hold'em. This ain't Texas, ain't no Hold'em, hey, down, 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 down. What kind of impact do you think Charlie Pride made on country music? Charlie Pride opened the doors for so many African-American artists today. Of course, Darius Rucker had a very successful pop career as lead of Hootie and the Blowfish and came to Nashville and was very humble, wrote songs with the right people, recorded, put in his dues, and now he is part of the kind of top performers in country music today. People like Kane Brown goes on tour and fills up arenas. You say, what if I hurt you? What if I leave you? 
somebody else and I don't need you. And then, of course, you have Beyonce. Yes, Beyonce now is has dropped a country album, or will in March. And, you know, she clearly stands on the shoulders of Charlie Pride. The other person that hasn't gotten his due up until recently in country music was Ray Charles, who put out that country and Western album. And that was just as country as anything you'd hear in a jukebox in Texas. That album was brilliant. I went to the White House when Barack Obama was president, and they were having a night to honor Ray Charles and his influence. It is fitting that we pay tribute to one of our favorites and one of the most brilliant and influential musicians of our times, the late, great genius himself, Mr. Ray Charles. And the president talked about that album and that Ray Charles signified country music and the Opry. And all I could think of from the East Room of the White House when I was hearing all this from him was, why isn't he in the Country Music Hall of Fame? And two years ago, Ray Charles was also inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Carly Pride was the first African-American to get inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2001. Uh, DeFord Bailey was inducted after him. And then Ray Charles, I think Darius Rucker will be in one day, and Kane Brown will probably be in one day too. So all of Charlie just, you know, kind of opened things up for so many people. That was my conversation with Nashville historian David Ewing, talking about the life, career, and legacy of Charlie Pride. Charlie Pride was the first black country singer to sign to a major record label back in 1965. Is anybody going to San Antonio or Phoenix, Arizona? Any place is all right as long as I can forget I've ever known her. That was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.